Hey, stranger! The Opus is moving out and into a new season as we continue to explore the ongoing legacy of music's most iconic records. I'm your host, Adam Unz, and this season we're celebrating the 45th anniversary of Billy Joel's fifth studio album, The Stranger, a record whose critical and commercial success catapulted the piano man to superstardom. Helping us explore this classic collection are artists like Billy Joel's drummer Liberty DeVito, Regina Spector, Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness, Rozzy, Lissy, The Arkells, Bayside's Anthony Renari, and Ben Folds. Great music shapes lives, shakes rafters, and embeds itself into our culture. So let's find out why only the good die young as we deep dive into The Stranger. The new season is out now and is brought to you by the Consequence Podcast Network and Sony Legacy Recordings. Find us at consequence.net or wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, 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 and welcome to The Spark Parade, a show where I talk to amazing people about the art and culture that's shaped their lives. I'm Adam Unz, so glad you could join me. Coming up this week, I've got a wonderful chat with writer, director, producer Chris Sweeney. You may know Chris from his podcast Homo Sapiens, which he has hosted with international pop sensation Will Young. You may know him from the music videos he's directed for the likes of Lily Allen, Jesse Ware, and Foles, among others. Or you may know him from Back to Life, the absolutely brilliant BBC show he directed, which premieres in the States this Sunday, November 10th at 10pm on Showtime. All of the Brits listening to this have watched and loved Back to Life ages ago, but the Americans who are listening to this should be very excited because you are in for a real treat. Anyway, Chris and I talked about his love for soul, R&B, and hip-hop legend Lauren Hill, as well as enigmatic soul goddess Sade, and the Whoopi Goldberg starring 1992 comedy classic Sister Act. And those topics were just jumping off points, my friends. We branched out into all sorts of things. It's a little bit of a rambly chat, and I mean that in the best way possible. I had so, so, so much fun with this one, and you know what? I think you will too. But first, talking about Lauren Hill got me thinking about musicians who tour small catalogs. As Chris and I discuss later on, Ms. Hill only ever released one studio album. I'm kind of fascinated by musicians with really small outputs who make a career out of touring. That life must be very repetitive. Even if she's performing covers as well as her own songs, Lauren Hill's fans will still expect her to play the songs from The Miseducation of Lauren Hill for the rest of her life. And they mostly just want to hear the singles, so that's like five songs? Over and over for the rest of her life. Even with the sometimes insane arrangements she comes up with that make the songs virtually unrecognizable, they are still the same fucking songs. I mean, there are actors in successful Broadway shows that might do the same performance every day for a year or two, but it's still a character. The experience is always finite. They'll move on to other things. But if you're a musician who's known for a handful of songs, there just isn't any escaping them. That's what people will always want from you. I went to see CeCe Peniston and Robin S. on Staten Island a couple of summers ago, and I wondered the same thing about them. And I mean, CeCe Peniston at least has a few songs that people will recognize. The only song that anyone really wants from Robin S. is a performance of Show Me Love. That same fucking song, over and over and over for the rest of her life. But you know what? The show was great! She's an amazing performer, her voice sounded great, and she looked like she was having so much fun. So... Maybe it's just about holding on to the opportunities we're given. There are thousands of musicians in the world who will never have even one hit record. And maybe that's all they've ever dreamed of, and it's never going to happen. So it's a complicated situation, you know? I, I can speak from experience. I've done long runs of plays, and it sometimes feels like it's Groundhog's Day. But it's never a chore. Performing is such a joy and a privilege, and having thousands or even millions of people who want to watch you do it is a rare gift that not many artists get to receive, even if it means doing the same thing over and over again for the rest of your life. You know what I'm saying? 
I think you do. So I'll stop blabbing and we can scoot along to my fantastic conversation with Chris Sweeney about Lauren Hill, Sade, and Sister Act. So, shall we begin? Let's begin. Uh, Lauren Hill? Lauren Hill. So, do you recall discovering her? I mean, she yes. she's, you know, globally famous, so yes. it's not like you had to search to, to find her or anything. But Couldn't even search back then. Yes, that's true. Well, as you could, you could just do the traditional searching. Yeah. Uh, when did I first hear her? My friend, uh, my friend Amy, who I grew up with, she had a sister who was sort of like our go-to when to find cool music. Mm-hmm. And she came home with the Miseducation of Lauren Hill album. And our parents, well, their parents were away for a fortnight over <laughs> Easter. So we all just got stoned in their house for two weeks solid listening to the album on repeat. <laughs> and I don't actually, I really don't like smoking weed. It's not my thing at all. So I was sort of like really stoned being like, I don't actually like this. But um, I remember, I think what struck me about it is that like, I didn't feel like I understood, like a lot of rock music I didn't really get. Like Mm -hmm. it's very boy, it felt very masculine in a way that I couldn't relate to. And then I felt like hip hop was quite ultra masculine. And then the miseducation of Lauryn Hill was like, had this sort of femininity to it that Mm -hmm. I hadn't heard coming from a hip hop universe and it felt soulful in a way that reminded me of people like it's this isn't quite right but people like Luther Vandross or Anita Baker like who I'd grown up on yeah so it felt like a modern version of that and all the spoken word bits in between and you know Mm -hmm. felt artistic in a kind of had a feminine energy yeah what had you heard like Fuji's songs before and yeah that way I had and actually until you said that I'd sort of forgotten that the Fugees obviously preceded them, didn't they? And mm-hmm. everybody loved the Fugees. And I did really like them. And yeah, I don't know what it was. I think, but I didn't really t- pay much attention to Lauren Hill when she was in the Fugees. Like, mm-hmm. I knew them as a group and that was it really. And yeah. maybe I was a little bit too young as well, maybe. But yeah, so we just listened to that album for two weeks on repeat. <laughs> I still listen to it, obviously. Yeah, yeah. What about you? Do you remember when you first heard it? Um, I was, I think, 16 or 17 when the score came out. Okay. Fuji's big album. Yes. Um, And a lot of my friends were into the first Fuji's album, which is like fine. But what was that called? The score is such a good title for an album. I can't believe it. I've only just logged that in my head. Blunted on reality. Oh. Yeah. Nappy Heads was the probably the biggest single from that first album, but it wasn't a lot of. I don't know if Lauren Hill sang at all on it. Mm-hmm. It was just like all hip hop, and then obviously they decided, hey, she can sing pretty well. Maybe it would yeah. be a good idea if we uh, showcased that. Yeah, and, and that's so. but that's quite pertinent in a way. Like I don't know if you agree, but like the score or miseducation of lauren hill was like when middle-class white people mm-hmm. living in the suburbs like hip-hop landed in their lap yeah on, and it was on top of the pops i imagine mm-hmm. like in a way that was played at dinner parties yeah and the whole of the kind of mid to late 90s i think was when hip-hop became pop music and was mm. like top of the charts everywhere and especially in this country like i think in the uk dance music still had a really big presence in addition to like proper pop pop music Mm. um and here it was like you still got pop songs but Mm. most of the top 10 would be hip-hop or have like you know a hip-hop feature on it or whatever yeah you forget that and um you forget that in the uk because it it that never happened, really. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, have you ever seen Lauren Hill? No, and I was supposed to go and see her, but the tickets were really expensive, and I was like, oh. And I also feel like you have to go into it knowing that you need to donate about six hours of your time because she, will, if she does the show, it yeah. will be hours and hours and hours late. Oh, really? She's notorious for, like... 
you know, four or five, six hours of waiting. Oh, wow. For, like, I get really stressed out about being late. I don't like being late for anything. Mm. And if I'm, like, 15 minutes late, I feel bad. If she is six hours late, I just, like, I can't. I can't with that. Have you and seen I, her? No. And that's the reason. Like, I, right. I, I wouldn't mind it, but I don't think i want to give up that much of my time so her last tour she just sang that record right mm-hmm. whereas before she's toured other music or has she i mean does she like what else does she have to tour with uh, you know i think I maybe i don't know if she, i don't think she does any fuji songs she released that like mtv live album that had a yeah. few other songs on it and then she's released a couple songs for soundtracks and that's it wow um, it's crazy it's like I find all of that really interesting that mm. she was so famous. She won like a hundred thousand Grammys mm. and then kind of nothing ever again. What do you think about that? Do you think that's, that's a, there's a strategy there or do you think it's just like she thinks she's always going to write something just doesn't. I, I mean, she's super religious. Really? Like, her Grammy speeches were all she was reading from a Bible while she was giving her Grammy speeches. So mm. she has, let's say, between eight and ten kids. Does she? A lot of children. Wow. With one of Bob Marley's sons. Oh, yeah, I knew that. And maybe she's busy being a mother. But I think there was also, like, an aspect of it that was she felt like she wasn't comfortable recording secular music or being doing you know having a career that was participating in something that she found to be a religious or mm. um you know immoral um mm. so i'm this is all speculation though <laughs> yeah we don't even know she has kids yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> did, did she even sing those songs i don't I know, don't know. Yeah. i don't know her very well mm. um but yes yeah, so that was that was a big formative part of my life. I think you have like certain things that you see or do when you're growing up that you look back on as being like when you sort of, I can see like Bambi standing on Bambi's own feet. Was Bambi a boy or a girl? Boy. Boy. Yeah. Um, Bambi standing up on his feet. Are your first things that like feel like they're yours? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I remember Lauren Hill and that album being so pivotal yeah i talk about that i mean you know because of the nature of this podcast and talking to people about like how art relates to really important moments in their life or however people want to define the Mm. art that's important to them a lot of people talk about experiences during adolescence and it is that time where you're like you know for a lot of people their taste will initially develop through recommendations from their siblings or from their parents or from mm. you know, people around them that are older and then as you get to be kind of a tween slash teenager mm. it's like your friends start throwing stuff at you you hear stuff on the radio or in shops or wherever and start developing your own taste and yes yeah. yeah and i think that like she was or that album was it was almost like the reason I picked it is because it was almost it was like the thing that joined the gap that I because I wasn't I didn't like anything else that anyone else liked like I didn't like I'm talking about a 14 year old boy like I didn't like girls I didn't like football I didn't like you know I didn't Mm -hmm. like rock music I literally was like every time someone got excited about something I was like oh god here we go (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm not gonna like it (laughs) you know what I mean yeah and then that was the first time I was like ah that's incredible. Yeah, and it's very makes you feel like you have a place in the world when you find things that you like that you know that other people like as well. And it's like it, it is quite isolating. I know exactly that feeling. I mean, mm. I think that's a pretty common experience for a lot of gay boys, especially that it's like that you know not wanting to participate in the traditional laddie things, um, mm. kind of having to find your own stuff that you know the stuff that makes you feel happy that makes you feel comfortable yeah and you're just you know your network is so much smaller our networks were so much smaller back then whereas Mm. if i'd been 14 able to fire up instagram i could have found 50 million other people like me it would have been a lot simpler and i would have never found lauren hill maybe yeah i think i still would have yeah Yeah. (laughs) given that she was everywhere yeah yeah especially at that time it was like 
I can remember the build-up to that album coming out. Really? And yeah. I think because I really loved the Fugees, I was maybe more aware of it than mm. other people would have been too. But um, yeah, it was this like a huge deal. And I remember like um, that thing, the first single being released and everybody's just going crazy for that and whatever. You, what was the first single? Uh, that thing, you know, doo-wop. Oh yeah. Whatever. Was that the first single? Mm-hmm. So very not re- like that stands out on that album as not really from that album, doesn't mm-hmm. it? It feels like the one the record company made her put on. Yeah, but there's a lot of the kind of religious stuff in the album as well, and that song is kind of like you know, don't be a slut. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, Do you remember the video? I don't. You don't. No. God, that was such a pivotal moment for me. So two Laurens. Mm-hmm. One is in like um, a kind of Supremes uh, <laughs> Oh, space. yeah, 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 yeah. And then it's like split screen and then there's like a Lauren but in a denim jacket and she's like, it's a bit more street. And yeah. having like a some kind of battle maybe mm-hmm. or maybe they're just intercutting. Yeah. But it was like such a 90s video, wasn't it? it was yeah. So like it was all taking place in the middle of the street somewhere. They'd obviously yeah. closed down streets. <laughs> But that song would I never loved actually. Mm. I found like that was quite. Do you remember when Solange? Do you say Solange or Solange? So, so I would say Solange. I mean, I think Solange. It's, you know, yeah, it's. Uh, we'd have to ask her. Yeah, um, Solange. Do you remember when she first came out? Mm. And she did very poppy album. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously like record American record company go to, where they're like, oh, make it a bit. I, I bet do what that thing was. A reference for her, you yeah, know, it's all yeah. sort of like felt a bit fifties, like mm-hmm. people standing on coloured columns in a white studio, was the Solange one. But yeah, um, it's obviously like in a meeting room, everyone can agree that that will work, mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. it just didn't feel like her at all. Yeah. It was X Factor that oh, was God. the song that just literally was like it actually made my mind explode, like yeah. because it, and it weirdly is what Adele did to me when I first heard her mm. prior to because I first heard Adele on MySpace and I wish I'd fucking downloaded the songs that were on her MySpace because they disappeared pretty quick yeah because I was going to direct a video for her all oh, right and I had a meeting with her and she was very nice and she was like oh um I we we're talking about doing this video and then but the song was Hometown Glory mm. And then it was that song was on her MySpace and there was like three others that were so soulful and heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. She didn't been singing about 10 seconds, like right. three seconds. And you're like, this yeah. is extraordinary. Yeah. And, and it, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, no, just it's interesting to see the evolution of Adele because she is amazing still. Mm-hmm. But her music is so poppy now. Mm-hmm. And actually Lauren Hill never went that way, did she? She yeah. never became like... She never did global megastar stuff. She was a global megastar, but mm-hmm. well, she didn't release any more music. So. Yeah. Well, and it was like she became a global megastar and then mm. just kind of stopped. And I think it, it did make her a bit, I don't want to, I don't know if mad is the right <laughs> way to, to phrase it. I think it, it was like the, this intense pressure, you know, she suddenly became like everything was on a different level it wasn't the level of fame that she'd had before where it was like she was famous Mm. but she still could kind of live her life and then all of a sudden it was like it just exploded and it seemed like the pressure really got to her how did she write that album do you know um do you like how i'm asking you more questions about it than you (laughs) (laughs) yeah well the last time i spoke i feel like you know (laughs) you're one of these people who knows all this stuff like but maybe that was just because of your conversation with rod thomas bright light bright light he did where it's like you both can go quite deep on almost like the campaign behind music. Yeah. Is that yeah, something yeah. that interests you? Yeah. I like, I like, you know, learning the history of whatever I'm talking about. We like movies and stuff too. Um, and, and any kind of art. Yes. Um, <laughs> I don't know though. I, I assume, I think it was supposed to be initially that she was just doing a solo record and she was that the fujis were still going to happen but i wonder if she wrote it i wonder if she wrote it all or if it was like 
you know, serendipitous. She felt it was serendipity and couldn't be repeated. I suppose mm. is what I'm thinking. Yeah, I don't know. But we'll never know. If only there was the internet. I know. Yeah. She... um, I'm going to look it up. Okay. I also think that um, X Factor in particular, it's like that kind of storytelling in a song that just feels... And and, uh, the way that she talks about a relationship ending, Mm. even if you haven't had exactly the same experience that she's had, it's so like really hit a nerve for me. And at that time, I'd never even been in a long-term relationship and didn't really couldn't have related to that kind of heartbreak on a mm. personal level but it still was just like oh my god look at her voice is conveying it you don't mm. even need to understand it and it's like it's really interesting because i feel like i think someone needs to do a compilation album no one will ever do this maybe they should um of i'm obsessed with like colloquial like chatty lyrics so mm-hmm. like the first line of that song is like it could all be so simple it's yeah. so conversational there mm-hmm. you know what i mean and I feel like there's a, a big history of songs that have connected on a huge way mm-hmm. that are just very chatty, like, you know, Adele, never mind, I'll find someone like you. Like, that's so conversational. Yeah. Or like Will Young's, um, I think I better leave right now. Right. You know what I mean? It's right. like, it's not really a lyric. Mm-hmm. And I think that gets you into someone's head very quickly. Yeah. Obviously, it's not the full reason it was a success, but... Um, I feel like that is... I just remember that first line so well. And you were like, oh, what is this? You know what I mean? Yeah. She really writes amazing lyrics. She's written some songs for other people. Too. Has she? I yeah. didn't know that. Go on. Yeah. Uh, do you remember an Aretha Franklin song called A Rose is Still a Rose? She wrote that? Yeah. And she sings backing vocals on it as well. That could be an India RE song, couldn't it? Mm-hmm. Fucking love that song. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> I'm on the Wikipedia page. I don't know if this is allowed, <laughs> but I'm doing it. Defined as a neo-soul and R&B album, but uh, musical styles such as hip-hop, reggae, it dealt with motherhood. Um, I'm trying oh, to Oh, yeah, find. the joy of my world is in Zion. Ah, uh, yes. Her, song is, or her son is called Zion. Yeah. So she wrote pretty much all the album with the odd guest writer here. That wouldn't happen anymore. Lots of personnel or something else. Lawsuits. Do you want to know about lawsuits? <laughs> Though Miseducation Lauren Hill was largely a collaborative work between Hill and a group of musicians known as New Ark, Farda Noble, various other names, there was label pressure to do the Prince thing, wherein all tracks would be credited as written and produced by the artist without, with little outside help. Well, we are uncovering a conspiracy here. <laughs> While recording the album, when Hill was asked about providing contracts or documentation to the musicians, she replied, we all love each other. This ain't about documents. This is blessed. How many lawsuits have... Sort of <laughs> have started that way. In 1998, New Ark filed a 50-page lawsuit against Hill. Did you know this? I knew that there were issues that musicians have accused her of either not paying them or not giving proper credit, those kinds of things. See? You know more about this album than I do. Uh, So, just to, for the the sake of keeping things brief and uh, not taking up too much of your time, thanks. uh, shall we move on to subject two which is Sade Uh, Sade uh, oh my god so my dad loved Sade Mm, so did mine really Mm -hmm. not common for a dad to love Sade I think I don't know my dad was into a lot of like kind of solely stuff same so he he loved that's how I he loved like Luther Vandross Anita Baker all the way across to like elevated jazz mm. loved anything that sounded like it could have been played on like hold music he loved um yeah, yeah. my dad loved anita baker and luther vandross as well ugh. Like, ugh. just the like incredible 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 voices we played sweet love at my dad's funeral mm. anita baker song and i think he introduced me to sade and then i'm trying to remember what the first song i heard of hers but I just remember how you know because actually what the person that she is she's actually not very like her image right Mm -hmm. but that kind of graceful elegance Mm -hmm. and sort of pure soul that just felt like it came from 
nowhere else. I couldn't, I mean, obviously you could have thought about it a bit harder, like to place where it was from. But I also think that's something to do with breaking across into mainstream, you know. Mm-hmm. And if you are a kid who lives in Putney, where I grew mm-hmm. up in, which is like boring suburbia, like, you know, you're not across the intricacies of like soul and references and stuff. And, and you know, these things that cross over the Rubicon to mainstream, like mm-hmm. you think are exotic, but actually when you delve in, it's like, oh, you know, you see, you learn more about where it came from. But it was really like classy. That's mm-hmm. what I remember just thinking like, it was like perfume. You yeah. know what I mean? You're like, yeah. oh, it's really classy. Yeah. And I loved that elegance. And she was this kind of, she just was very private, wasn't she? Mm-hmm. And she never gave anything away about herself. And I don't know, I wonder if that was baked in from the start or... Because she's actually not, you know, she's not quite what her image was. She was portrayed as extremely sort of luxurious and graceful. But she's actually apparently very, you know, normal. Yeah, yeah. And I thought she was American, but she's from London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she felt like she was a megastar the moment you saw her. Because the photography was incredible. Do you remember the photos Mm -hmm. from that first album? What was the first album called? Uh, Diamond Life. Oh, okay. That wasn't the first album I heard. So Diamond Life has Smooth Operator on it and Your Love is King. Your Love is King. So this is the, yeah, Love Deluxe. See, that's just a best of. That's the album. That's what I remember. Is it? Or is that not? Love Deluxe is a a proper album. Oh, that was a proper album. Okay. I think. So Love Deluxe had no ordinary love on it. Shit the bed. She wrote Smooth Operator... Yeah. In 1984. Right. I didn't realise that. Um, yeah. Uh, Your Love is King was 1984. So I was two. Sweetest Taboo, 1984. Yes. So No Ordinary Love, No Ordinary Love was on the soundtrack to Indecent Proposal. Indecent. I know. So amazing. Um, so that was direct. That film was directed by a friend of my parents, mm. a man called Adrian Lyon. Mm, mm-hmm. And I remember it being on that film and I was like it was so of a moment wasn't it yeah yeah do you yeah. remember like she throws money all over herself on the bed mm-hmm. and it's like do they have sex on the money but then it mm-hmm. all's gonna go terribly wrong yeah, in the morning yeah. when they're like actually this has got to me yeah is it so it's Demi Moore Woody Harrelson and Robert, Robert Redford. Redford yeah 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 amazing uh, but that was like a huge deal as well. Like in the lead up to that movie coming out, it's like this huge thing because all, all three of them were so famous. And I remember that very well. Anyway. Yeah. Sade. Sade. Um, Can I just go back to one thing though? Yes. Please. She didn't write that song for that film, did she? No. It was just put on. Yeah. But isn't that funny? Cause that just wouldn't happen now. Like yeah, it was yeah. so like, it was just, they'd just taken a song off her album and put it on there. Like that happens all the time and no one, care no one like it, it was such an event you know what i mean but i suppose it was an iconic film and an iconic singer coming together so it was released in 1992 and the film came out in 1993 but was not on the soundtrack was what featured heavily in the film but not on the soundtrack. see how do you know that because you googled it before I this did. no i just looked at it right now <laughs> oh right yeah. why was it not on there i don't know money yeah or maybe she was like you can use my song but it stays on my album if people want yeah. to hear it, they can hear it on my album. Doesn't Madonna have a thing about that? Probably. Like, you can't... I think it's like she's not ever on anyone else's stuff. Anyway, so Sade. Yeah, she was like this refuge for me. It was just mm-hmm. like... It was... It was. It, she represented a lot like Lauren Hill, a lot of things that I didn't seem to be able to find elsewhere and I couldn't relate to anyone else about. It was a graceful femininity that I really identified with mm-hmm. that... I'm neither graceful, I'm not very graceful, but like, I am feminine. But like, I don't, I don't know, it just, it was like a warm bath. I just really related to her and Uh the way that she presented herself was that I really related to. And what was interesting is like, you know, most other people at my age, I was 10 when I, I think I was 10 when that film came out. So I probably discovered her when I was eight. I must've been eight. Mm -hmm. I remember it was at least two years before Indecent Proposal that you know most kids my age were playing football and relating to alan shearer english <laughs> yeah, footballer yeah, yeah and there was i being like i love Sade. i think yeah. she's amazing and there's a lot of people who feel like that i think 
Yeah. And, you know, I mean, her voice is absolutely incredible. She looks, she's stunningly beautiful. Like, she looks like a supermodel. Mm. But, like, that, what you were saying about that kind of mysterious, enigmatic coolness, but at the same time, she mm. felt, to me at least, quite down to earth. This weird mix of like untouchable but accessible. Like I'd see mm. there's a performance of Sweetest Taboo that really sticks with me where she's like kind of wearing casual clothes, like jeans and a black turtleneck or something and these big Love hoop it. earrings. Love it. And sounds amazing, just performing like in this very simple performance, like very straightforward, like kind of moving a bit to the music, but not like any choreography or something. Mm. But just like looks a bit casual, looks like she's just you know comfortable not like wearing a an evening gown or something mm. to do a performance but still looking so amazingly cool and like yeah just i, I was so drawn to her and it was so so cuz her down to earthness is not what actually appealed to me it was mm. her goddessness that yeah. appealed to me yeah. and i think that is like there's a you know there's a big flavor of like gay icon in there and like mm-hmm. That was what I was, there was glamour. You know, I actually yeah. wasn't like, God, thank God she's so normal. I didn't really want her to be normal. Yeah. Um, but the way they went about, which obviously was not occurring to me at the time, but the way they went about her whole image, mm-hmm. which I don't know if it came entirely from her or not. So, you know, when like Liza Minnelli will do a final special. Is she still alive? <laughs> she is. She is. Yes. Before I go off on this, it's like, Chris, she's dead. Uh, and it would be, if you were going to do a special with Liza Minnelli, mm-hmm. she would wear all black. It'd be very stripped back. You know what I mean? Like, because you're like, this is an icon and you don't mm-hmm. need to put anything else around her. Right. And they started her, it felt like it, they started her like that, mm-hmm. which I cannot begin to imagine the confidence that requires and the amount mm. of time, every micro while well, you're going on top of the pops, we must get some dancers. Well, you're dot, dot, dot. We must dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that they held their nerve and I'm saying they, cause I don't know if it was her decision alone or other people in- involved in it with her, but I went on a bit of a deep dive of her videos because mm. so I've done lots of videos for Jesse Ware, mm-hmm. who is an old friend of mine. Mm. And we met when we were like eight years old <laughs> and Jessie is actually a very sort of, she's like a very down-to-earth person. But when mm. she started doing music, she went for this kind of Sade look and it was like really graceful and chic and like, I loved it. But I was doing a video with her and I was sort of looking at Sade, I can't remember why, but went on this deep dive and like, Sade made extraordinary brave, odd decisions with every video. Mm-hmm. Like there was this one where she's like singing with like a Mexican guy in a restaurant. <laughs> and you're like, on paper, this would have been so weird, but you have, she just pulled it off. It was a really mm. colorful video mm-hmm. and it was sort of everything you wouldn't think Sade would be, but she just managed to even pull that off because it's quite a kind of, you know, very chic black and white photography thing about Sade in my head and then mm-hmm. some red lips. But this was like, it looked like a sort of Van Gogh, Van Gogh painting. It was like mm. lots of yellows. And so she was always doing things her own way. Now I think about it. But it's like the combination of, that incredible image I, I don't know if she could have been successful just with that image if she, her voice was like you know mm. okay and there was a lot of help in the studio to make it sound a certain way and it was you know there are a lot of people who are singers who are just like very pretty and very charismatic and mm. they can't really sing but mm. you know they work around that in the studio and with do her, a song with dame bowers like <laughs> yes yes i love exactly. that song out of your mind yes so good yeah She's actually owes Sade a lot with her personal style. Hmm. Um, but yeah, you're right. It was the voice. Yeah. And, uh, but, but then what's interesting about, to go back to Adele, <laughs> why I don't know. Uh, she, you know, Adele has become a big part of her thing is that like voice of an angel, but God, she's normal, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like her show, she gets people up on stage and it's all like, ah, oh, you know, and she, oh, isn't she potty mouth? The oh, whole can't can't take her anywhere she'll always say something just so normal you know Sade never did that though you know she never tried to play no one tried to wheel her back from her incredible alienating beauty Mm -hmm. voice godlike everything goddess like everything you know and I guess that that 
I would like to correct my previous opinion. I don't think she was accessible. I think it was just that it was effortless. It yeah. did, nothing felt forced. It didn't feel like, you know, even if it is this cultivated image that, um, you know, a team of people have worked on to make sure that she looks a certain way, which is yeah. probably, you know, is, is the case most of the time with people in the public eye. Yeah. It felt like she just is this amazingly beautiful and charismatic and enigmatic on her own and she just walks out on stage and is just like seems yeah. so comfortable in her own skin effortless um, is the hardest thing to do i've tried many a time never worked <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what it that was it that's it in a word it was effortless yeah mm. and she has a trans kid and is mm. really supportive and i know i didn't know she had a trans son it's a son is it mm -hmm. i didn't even know she had a trans kid until walking here with my friend mm. and they were saying oh did you know and i was like, oh no so, you know she did a song for widows yes and that song is about him oh wow yeah okay i didn't um, know that was about him. and it's like about him coming out to her uh so oh, really yeah and that song's amazing he just posted something on his instagram recently talking about the coming out process and how incredibly supportive she was and Aww. just showing like photos of them together and stuff and it's lovely and exactly what i would hope of her you know people who are incredibly famous who you love mm. it, the image that they project to the public is not necessarily the image that or you know the reality of who they are in private and um you know it still isn't like oh i know her and we're friends now because i can see that she was kind to her trans son but it still just made me feel <laughs> hey like, it's a step know. in the right direction yeah um so also a uh, sister act yeah I then thought about changing this. Okay. Well, so Sister Act, mm -hmm. Pretty Woman and Clueless are sort of all... Jumbled in. Jumbled in together. I remember, but I would talk about Sister Act and I can just fold in some Pretty Woman and Clueless stuff. Because <laughs> on my way here with my friend, she was like, well, can you quote Sister Act? And I was like, yeah. She was like, but how much? And I was like... Well, I was like, oh, God, well, I could probably quote Pretty Woman more. Maybe it should be Pretty Woman. Um, but they were... So Sister Act was... I remember being in... A, I was in a very cool party in South by Southwest in Texas about 10 years ago. It was probably 15 years ago. And this guy said to me... He was like a cool person who worked in something like film or TV and or film or music. And he said, what kind of films do you want to make? Because I'm a director for my job. And I said, I want to make films like Sister Act. <laughs> and he literally just looked at me so confused and walked off. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I don't quite understand that reaction. Um, but I think that it was... So back to Luther Vandross again, mm. like, and soul and gospel. You know, that's what I grew up my, with my dad listening to. Mm -hmm. And that's the music that filled our house. My mum is not really into music. She quite likes classical music, but like doesn't even really listen to it mm -hmm. on her own accord yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, it was the same for me. Yeah, really? My dad was really, really into music. And like my mum liked listening to music with him and mm. he kind of would introduce her to stuff. But I still don't think she, she kind of likes listening to the music that he liked as a way of remembering him. But uh, mm. she doesn't really like buy albums on her own. Yeah, I wonder if that's quite... A common thing in couples like mm. one person is in charge of music yeah in my relationship like i'm in charge and i'll do music william my husband will like shazam he likes music a lot but like mm. it's different like i can't like i can't i cannot imagine a life without music mm. same it's like if you took anything from me i would say you gotta you, you can take anything like a food could become flavorless i wouldn't care mm -hmm. i'm not that interested in food I could get rid of smell. A sight would really fuck me off. Yeah. So this is quite a hard one. That has got nothing to do with what we're talking about. But, <laughs> but music is my everything. It's mm -hmm. how I metabolize everything that goes on for me. Yeah. And I think that's why Lauren Hill and Sade were teen years when everything was very complicated because I was in the closet and, you know, having the standard issue gay kid problems that... I'm that was how I expressed emotion was mm -hmm. through music. It had to be music. Yeah. And I can't actually cry unless I'm listening to music. Like yeah. 
or maybe a film occasionally. And so bringing it back to Sister Act was, you know, it was the gospel element that mm-hmm. I loved. And But I do think if I was to ask a psychotherapist about this, there is definitely probably I related to the idea of someone being in disguise <laughs> um, in the storyline mm-hmm. that I connected with about, you know, hiding in plain sight and gospel being the release and music being the release and mm-hmm. you know you're able to show your true colors in a hidden way because she was able to connect with all the nuns through music and that was actually how she still got to be dolores who she was before she was in there and you know like yeah i felt like that's how my mind was relating the queer experience mm-hmm. maybe yeah. and it is pretty camp as well and it's, it's like, outrageously camp yeah you got, you know, I mean, Whoopi Goldberg herself is quite, quite camp at comedies, but then, you know, Maggie Smith and Kathy and Jimmy and people like that. Oh, my God. So Whoopi Goldberg is one of those people who can be, she reminds me of, a bit of Melissa McCarthy in a way, like they can mm. be very big mm-hmm. and they can be going for the comedy, but it still has so much rooted in emotion, rooted in reality. They're never overacting in any way. Mm-hmm. It's all just turning up the volume on all the right things, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, and then I didn't really like Maggie Smith in it. I felt no. like I didn't like her Englishness. I didn't know who she was at the time. Mm. And I just felt like she bummed me out because <laughs> yeah. I was sort of so into the story and she was like the <laughs> adversary. And I was like, can she shut up <laughs> and let them do what they want? And then the relationships with all the other people I mean, fuck, what are some of the best jokes in that film? I'm trying to remember. Did you know? Yeah. This is a fun fact that I've discovered. Go on. Uh, that Whoopi Goldberg asked Carrie Fisher to punch up her dialogue. Really? Yes. And was like pissing off the studio because she kept asking for little wow. sneaky rewrites from Carrie Fisher. And then Carrie Fisher like said, I think the quote is, you're getting into a pissing contest with people who actually have dicks. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Did I read somewhere? Wasn't Barbara Streisand supposed to originally play her? Bette Midler. Bette Midler was, it was originally a Bette Midler vehicle. Yes. Which would have been great. Yeah. And she said she didn't think her fans would like her in the role of a nun. Really? I don't know why. She's just in disguise. It's not like she's being a nun. Hmm. Yeah, Bette. I mean, Bette's made some good decisions, so. Yeah. Um... That Midler, I mean, it would not have done the same thing culturally, no. right? Yeah, it would have been very different. But, you know, it worked out well in the end, I think. Fuck. And do you remember Just a Touch of Love, that montage where they're redecorating, tidying up the city, yeah. and then they get involved in the skipping rope contest? Yeah. And it was all like, you know, good thing about Bet Midler, like so much of what was brilliant about that film was like, her educating the nuns on black culture and uh-huh. all of that and you know yeah. like it if, it if it didn't have that yeah and you know the way maggie smith's character was so hostile to her blackness basically yeah yeah, yeah. you know without that it would just be there's so much less conflict yeah and it would be a softer honey i shrunk the kids type mm-hmm. film maybe yeah yeah. Which isn't really... Because Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is great, but it's not actually about anything, is it really? Right, yeah. Um, whereas um, this was about so much. And yeah. there was like really good stakes, like from a writing perspective. Like the stakes were death, mm-hmm. guns, mm. mafia. Yeah. Harvey Keitel. Harvey Keitel. <laughs> so funny, isn't it? Because yeah. like, I didn't even know anything about Harvey Keitel. Because I've even mm. watched films that he was in, like... He was in like Mean Streets and stuff, yeah, right? yeah, like, yeah. which I just didn't watch that stuff, yeah, because I was watching Clueless and Pretty Woman. <laughs> like, you know, it was such a stunt casting to put him in it and fucking hysterical, but yeah. he was great. Um, going back to the Lauren Hill connection, how do you yeah. feel about the sequel? I do you know what? I've never seen it. Oh my god, I have, I know, isn't that weird? I have actually seen bits of it, but I didn't really enjoy the bits I saw Mm. because what I wanted was Sister Act again. And uh, it wasn't that. And I should invest some time. Yeah. You know, Lauren Hill, Jennifer Love Hewitt, all of that. 
I know people who are just intensely obsessed with the songs from that movie as well. Really? There's a big dance number that, you know, Sink the Pink, Mm. um, at the very beginnings of Sink the Pink, when it was like 20 people under a rail arch in Bethnal Green. Yes. Um, I went to those. Yeah. Did you? Yeah, yeah. Mm, Yeah. How funny. Glenn and Amy and, um, you know, a few other people used to like get up on stage and do kind of a a dance number in the middle of the night. So they'd just be like playing pop music and then Uh. stop and do a little show. And they learned all of the chore- uh, choreography. Hmm. Choreography is how you pronounce that word, oh, okay. listeners. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they learned all the choreography for one of the numbers in Sister Act Two and lip synced to it and just like really went all out. So amazing. There's a following. Um, wow. Anyway, this is all digression because you haven't even seen it, and this is about you. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I can also tell you that. So my one of my best mates, Harry, mm-hmm. um, straight man, he loves this track as well. And we've often bonded over it. Mm. And at my wedding, as a surprise, he sang a song at our wedding. But then when he'd finished that song, I, didn't, I can't remember how it happened because I was drunk and it all happened quite quickly. He got everyone to put napkins on their heads like habits. Mm-hmm. And they sung Ave Maria from this track. <laughs> <laughs> and it was incredible i don't know if i have a video of it that is a a very kind gesture for a wedding organizing something like that it was amazing it was amazing it's like because he loves the film as well yeah but um i remember being really upset that she had done her hair differently at the end Mm. (laughs) i didn't like the end yeah because i was like that's not the pope yeah (laughs) so for anyone who hasn't seen it, um, probably has tuned out by now. Um, <laughs> and the, it all builds towards the Pope coming to watch, right? Mm-hmm. Which I actually didn't like. Yeah, You're like, the Pope's not coming. But anyway, <laughs> and then the, the Pope stood up and it was like she waved at him. But I remember being cross about her hair. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember that? Does that uh, ring any bells for you? I don't. Because she didn't look like it wasn't her. I remember the like big wig at the beginning when she's a nightclub singer oh yeah and then just a habit yeah but no i i don't think the the hairdo debacle had as big of an effect on me no um well i'm sorry that you didn't get the the ending you deserved (laughs) listen i it's up to them and it did very well yes uh (laughs) <laughs> I have some fucking funny lines in there, but I can't remember any. I think that that's good. You know, yeah. Those are some lovely anecdotes. Some lovely tidbits yes. from Sister Act. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, so that all feels good to me. I yeah. feel good. Good. Um, if anybody wants to know what you are up to right now, mm. uh, how would they find out? Call my mother okay. on 01932. <laughs> um the where would you find out well the show i've directed for the bbc called back to life that's starting on showtime like imminently i love that you know that yeah i know everything brilliant so my show called back to life is out 6th of november or something Mm. on on showtime uh sunday nights i think um (laughs) and People can just Google it. Yeah. And it's really funny, dark comedy about a woman who comes back to her hometown after being in prison for 18 years and she has to rebuild her life. And it's like a dark mystery, but with a lot of humour. A bit like Fargo. Mm. So I'm doing that. And then there might be another series. Who knows? (laughs) And various other things. I'm doing my own podcast. Yes. Fellow podcaster here. Yeah. Yeah. Which is very exciting. So doing lots of exciting things for that. And uh, I think that's it for now. Yeah, that's, mm. a, that's a, lots of a fine fun quiver. Ways. Yes. yes. Uh, well, thank you very much. This has been a lovely, a lovely afternoon. Thank you very much. Very honoured to be on. Right. Bye. Bye. He is such a lovely man, isn't he? Quick little side note. Lauren Hill only has six kids, so sorry, Lauren, for trying to overburden you. Six is plenty. Anyway, thanks again to Chris for chatting to me. 
do yourself a favor and watch Back to Life on Sunday. You'll thank me later. I promise. Okay, why not check out a few little recommendations, huh? Why the hell not? I mean, in addition to Back to Life, obviously. So, firstly, I watched the first episode of Mrs. Fletcher, which is a new HBO show starring Katherine Hahn, who is obviously the best, and I'm so glad that she gets to be the center of attention. The show is based on a book written by Tom Parada, who also wrote Little Children, The Leftovers, and Election. It's about a woman who discovers herself and has a bit of a sexual awakening when her bro-y shithead son goes off to college. Sounds good, right? It is! so far. Also, it's a seven-part miniseries, and every episode is directed by a woman. And that includes two episodes directed by Carrie Brownstein of Slater Kinney and Portlandia fame. Also, there's a new Paul Rudd show on Netflix called Living With Yourself, which features Paul Rudd playing a man and his clone. He's unsurprisingly charming in it, but you should really watch it for Ashling B, who plays his wife, She's an Irish comedian, actor, and writer, and she's fucking great. And if you like her in the Netflix show, you'll love her in This Way Up, which she wrote and stars in, and you can watch that on Hulu in the States. And Sharon Horgan is in it too. It's a family comedy about depression. Wait, come back. It's so good. Anyway, check out Ashleen B's work because I have a feeling she is going to be everywhere soon. And lastly, I saw a film called Downtown 81, which is an early 80s film about the downtown New York art scene, and it stars a 19-year-old Jean-Michel Basquiat sort of playing a fictionalized version of himself. And Debbie Harry is in it in a fucking incredible cameo. And lots of musicians are in it too, like Fab Five Freddy and King Creole and the Coconuts. So if you love New York and you want to be nostalgic about the days when it was a lot grimier, or if you love Basquiat and you want to see him as a fresh-faced, super charismatic baby, you should check out this film. And that's it. Phew. This has been a lot of information. Have I overloaded you? I sure hope not. Maybe you should have a little nap anyway. And then when you wake up, you should follow me on social media at Spark Parade. I have an adorable online presence. You won't be disappointed. And then write me a nice review and rate the show five stars wherever you stream or download it. And if you're feeling really generous, you can throw me a couple of bucks on the website. It's easy. There's a button that says donate and everything. And that's really it. Have a wonderful week full of mystery and adventure. Until next time, bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.